0: exchange with the editor of the scots observer from oscar wilde art and morality by stuart mason this LibriVox recording is in the public domain sixteen tight street chelsea ninth of july eighteen ninety sir you have published a review of my story the picture of Dorian grey as this review is grossly unjust to me as an artist i ask you to allow me to exercise in your columns my right of reply your reviewer sir while admitting that the story in question is plainly the work of a man of letters the work of one who has brains and art and style yet suggests and apparently in all seriousness that i have written it in order that it should be read by the most depraved members of the criminal and illiterate classes now sir i do not suppose that the criminal and illiterate classes ever read anything except newspapers they are certainly not likely to be able to understand anything of mine so let them pass and on the broad question of why a man of letters writes at all let me say this The pleasure that one has in creating a work of art is a purely personal pleasure and it is for the sake of this pleasure that one creates the artist works with his eye on the object nothing else interests him what people are likely to say does not even occur to him he is fascinated by what he has in hand he is indifferent to others I write because it gives me the greatest possible artistic pleasure to write. If my work pleases the few, I am gratified. If it does not, it causes me no pain. As for the mob, I have no desire to be a popular novelist. It is far too easy. Your critic, then, sir, commits the absolutely unpardonable crime of trying to confuse the artist with his subject matter. For this sir there is no excuse at all of one who is the greatest figure in the world's literature since greek days keats remarked that he had as much pleasure in conceiving the evil as he had in conceiving the good let your reviewer sir consider the bearings of keats criticism for it is under these conditions that every artist works one stands remote from one's subject matter One creates it, and one contemplates it. The further away the subject matter is, the more freely can the artist work. Your reviewer suggests that I do not make it sufficiently clear whether I prefer virtue to wickedness, or wickedness to virtue. An artist, sir, has no ethical sympathies at all virtue and wickedness are to him simply what the colours on his palette are to the painter they are no more and they are no less he sees that by their means a certain artistic effect can be produced and he produces it iago may be morally horrible and imogen stainlessly pure shakespeare as keats said had as much delight in creating the one as he had in creating the other it was necessary sir for the dramatic development of this story to surround dorian gray with an atmosphere of moral corruption otherwise the story would have had no meaning and the plot no issue to keep this atmosphere vague and indeterminate and wonderful was the aim of the artist who wrote the story i claim sir that he has succeeded each man sees his own sin in dorian gray what dorian gray's sins are no one knows he who finds them has brought them in conclusion sir let me say how really deeply i regret that you should have permitted such a notice as the one i feel constrained to write on to have appeared in your paper That the editor of the St. James's Gazette should have employed Caliban as his art critic was possibly natural. The editor of the Scots Observer should not have allowed Thersites to make mows in his reviews. It is unworthy of so distinguished a man of letters. I am, etc., Oscar Wilde. To this letter the following editorial note was added it was not to be expected that mr wilde would agree with his reviewer as to the artistic merit of his booklet let it be conceded to him that he has succeeded in surrounding his hero with such an atmosphere as he describes this is his reward it is none the less legitimate for a critic to hold and to express the opinion that no treatment however skilful, can make the atmosphere tolerable to his readers that is his punishment no doubt it is the artist's privilege to be nasty but he must exercise that privilege at his peril during the next two weeks various correspondents aired their views on the subject and in the third week oscar wilde replied to them thus sir in a letter dealing with the relations of art to morals published in your columns a letter which i may say seems to me in many respects admirable Especially in its insistence on the right of the artist to select his own subject matter, Mr. Charles Whibley suggests that it must be peculiarly painful to me to find that the ethical import of Dorian Gray has been so strongly recognised by the foremost Christian papers of England and America that I have been greeted by more than one of them as a moral reformer allow me sir to reassure on this point not merely mr charles whibley himself but also your no doubt anxious readers i have no hesitation in saying that i regard such criticisms as a very gratifying tribute to my story for if a work of art is rich and vital and complete those who have artistic instincts will see its beauty and those to whom ethics appeal more strongly than aesthetics will see its moral lesson it will fill the cowardly with terror and the unclean will see in it their own shame it will be to each man what he is himself it is the spectator and not life that art really mirrors and so in the case of Dorian gray the purely literary critic as in the speaker and elsewhere, regards it as a serious and fascinating work of art. The critic who deals with art in its relation to conduct, as the Christian leader and the Christian world, regards it as an ethical parable. Light, which I am told is the organ of the English mystics, regards it as a work of high spiritual import. The st james's gazette which is seeking apparently to be the organ of the prorient, sees or pretends to see in it all kinds of dreadful things and hints at treasury prosecutions and your mr charles wibley genially says that he discovers in it lots of morality it is quite true that he goes on to say that he detects no art in it but i do not think that it is fair to expect a critic to be able to see a work of art from every point of view even gautier had his limitations just as much as diderot had and in modern england goethe's are rare i can only assure mr charles wibley that no moral apotheosis to which he has added the most modest contribution could possibly be a source of unhappiness to an artist i remain sir your obedient servant oscar wilde this again led to further correspondence and after an interval of two weeks oscar wilde returned to the charges levelled against his book and replied for the third and last time his letter dated from sixteen tight street chelsea thirteenth august eighteen ninety was as follows sir I am afraid i cannot enter into any newspaper discussion on the subject of art with mr whibley partly because the writing of letters is always a trouble to me and partly because i regret to say that i do not know what qualifications mr whibley possesses for the discussion of so important a topic i merely noticed his letter because i am sure without in any way intending it he made a suggestion about myself personally that was quite inaccurate his suggestion was that it must have been painful to me to find that a certain section of the public as represented by himself and the critics of some religious publications had insisted on finding what he calls lots of morality in my story of the picture of dorian gray being naturally desirous of setting your readers right on a question of such vital interest to the historian i took the opportunity of pointing out in your columns that i regarded all such criticisms as a very gratifying tribute to the ethical beauty of the story and i added that i was quite ready to recognize that it was not really fair to ask of any ordinary critic that he should be able to appreciate a work of art from every point of view i still hold this opinion if a man sees the artistic beauty of a thing he will probably care very little for its ethical import if his temperament is more susceptible to ethical than to aesthetic influences he will be blind to questions of style treatment and the like it takes a Goethe to see a work of art fully completely and perfectly and i thoroughly agree with mr webley when he says that it is a pity that goethe never had an opportunity of reading dorian gray i feel quite certain that he would have been delighted by it and i only hope that some ghostly publisher is even now distributing shadowy copies in the elysian fields and that the cover of goethe's copy is powdered with gilt asphodels you may ask me sir why i should care to have the ethical beauty of my story recognised i answer simply because it exists because the thing is there the chief merit of madame bovary is not the moral lesson that can be found in it any more than the chief merit of Salembeau is its archaeology but Flaubert was perfectly right in exposing the ignorance of those who called the one immoral, and the other inaccurate, and not merely was he right in the ordinary sense of the word, but he was artistically right, which is everything. The critic has to educate the public. The artist has to educate the critic. Allow me to make one more correction, sir, and I will have done with Mr. Webley he ends his letter with the statement that i have been indefatigable in my public appreciation of my own work i have no doubt that in saying this he means to pay me a compliment but he really overrates my capacity as well as my inclination for work i must frankly confess that by nature and by choice i am extremely indolent cultivated idleness seems to me to be the proper occupation for men i dislike newspaper controversies of any kind and of the two hundred and sixteen criticisms of dorian gray that have passed from my library table into the waste paper basket i have taken public notice of only three one was that which appeared in the scots observer i noticed it because it made a suggestion about the intention of the author in writing the book which needed correction the second was an article in the st james's gazette it was offensively and vulgarly written and seemed to me to require immediate and caustic censure the tone of the article was an impertinence to any man of letters the third was a meek attack in a paper called the daily chronicle i think my writing to the daily chronicle was an act of pure wilfulness. in fact i feel sure it was i quite forget what they said i believe they said that dorian gray was poisonous and i thought that on alliterative grounds it would be kind to remind them that however that may be it is at any rate perfect that was all of the other two hundred and thirteen criticisms i have taken no notice indeed i have not read more than half of them it is a sad thing but one wearies even of praise as regards mr brown's letter it is interesting only in so far as it exemplifies the truth of what i have said above on the question of the two obvious schools of critics mr brown says frankly that he considers morality to be the strong point of my story mr brown means well and has got hold of a half-truth but when he proceeds to deal with the book from the artistic standpoint he of course goes sadly astray to class dorian gray with monsieur zola's la terre is as silly as if one were to class masse's fortunio with one of the adelphi melodramas mr brown should be content with ethical appreciations there he is impregnable mr cobham opens badly by describing my letter setting mr webley right on a matter of fact as an impudent paradox the term impudent is meaningless and the word paradox is misplaced i am afraid that writing to newspapers has a deteriorating influence on style people get violent and abusive and lose all sense of proportion when they enter that curious journalistic arena in which the race is always to the noisiest impudent paradox is neither violent nor abusive but it is not an expression that should have been used about my letter however mr cobham makes full atonement afterwards for what was no doubt a mere error of manner by adopting the impudent paradox in question as his own and pointing out that as i had previously said the artist will always look at the work of art from the standpoint of beauty of style and beauty of treatment and that those who have not got the sense of beauty or whose sense of beauty is dominated by ethical considerations will always turn their attention to the subject-matter and make its moral import the test and touchstone of the poem or novel or picture that is presented to them while the newspaper critic will sometimes take one side and sometimes the other according as he is cultured or uncultured in fact mr cobham converts the impudent paradox into a tedious truism and i dare say in doing so does good service the english public likes tediousness and likes things to be explained to it in a tedious way mr cobham has i have no doubt already repented of the unfortunate expression with which he has made his debut so i will say no more about it as far as i am concerned he is quite forgiven and finally sir in taking leave of the scots observer i feel bound to make a candid confession to you it has been suggested to me by a great friend of mine who is a charming and distinguished man of letters and not unknown to you personally that there have been really only two people engaged in this terrible controversy and that those two people are the editor of the scots observer and the author of dorian gray at dinner this evening over some excellent chianti my friend insisted that under assumed and mysterious names you had simply given dramatic expression to the views of some of the semi-educated classes of our community and that the letters signed h were your own skilful if somewhat bitter caricature of the philistine as drawn by himself i admit that something of the kind had occurred to me when i read h s first letter the one in which he proposed that the test of art should be the political opinions of the artist and that if one differed from the artist on the question of the best way of misgoverning ireland one should always abuse his work still there are such infinite varieties of philistines and north britain is so renowned for seriousness that i dismissed the idea as unworthy of the editor of a scotch paper i now fear that i was wrong and that you have been amusing yourself all the time by inventing little puppets and teaching them how to use big words well sir if it be so and my friend is strong on the point allow me to congratulate you most sincerely on the cleverness with which you have reproduced the lack of literary style which is, I am told, essential for any dramatic and lifelike characterization. I confess that I was completely taken in, but I bear no malice, and as you have, no doubt, been laughing at me up your sleeve, let me join openly in the laugh, though it be a little against myself.' a comedy ends when the secret is out drop your curtain and put your dolls to bed i love don quixote but i do not wish to fight any longer with marionettes however cunning may be the master hand that works their wires let them go sir on the shelf the shelf is the proper place for them on some future occasion you can relabel them and bring them out for amusement They are an excellent company, and go well through their tricks, and if they are a little unreal, I am not the one to object to unreality in art. The jest is really a good one. The only thing that I cannot understand is why you gave the marionettes such extraordinary and improbable names. I remain, sir, your obedient servant, Oscar Wilde. The correspondence continued for three weeks longer, but Oscar Wilde took no further part in it. End of section